Good morning, Bethel. Well, if you have your Bible still open to Galatians 5, the passage that Pastor Tyler read is, is our text for this morning. So we are in the middle of a series on the Holy Spirit, or toward the end of um, the series on the Holy Spirit. And we come this morning to our theme verse for the series from Galatians 5.25, where Paul writes, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So, what do you think of when you think keeping in step with the Spirit? Some people think maybe that keeping in step with the Spirit is kind of a very mystical, maybe even a magical-like thing. And I think even those of us that wouldn't be given to that, sometimes we can live the Christian life in kind of a quasi-superstitious way, or at least it can kind of sneak in in different places. You may not know what some of these cultural references are. If you don't, just forget it. You'll eventually get the point. Um, Do you ever treat prayer like a Ouija board? Do you ever treat the Bible like a magic eight ball? Do you ever treat your obedience or your sacrifices or your service like a slot machine lever? Do you ever relate to the Spirit of God like a lucky rabbit's foot? Well, if so, that's superstition, not life in the Spirit, okay? So (laughs) what is life in the Spirit? Is it being guided, you know, in the morning you wake up? And you just get down there and you eat your breakfast and and you go, okay, Lord, I need a word from you. And it'll be this magical word that'll, you know, exactly what you need. Sometimes that happens, okay, but is that how we normally receive a word from the Lord? So there's a book study that's going to happen next Monday, so a week from tomorrow. J.D. Greer wrote a book called Jesus Continued, and I'm reading it. It's great. Um, Highly recommend it. So I'm going to quote Um, from that book right now. He says, Perhaps you've known people who equate the voice of the Spirit with some strange set of phenomena. You won't believe this. I was praying about whether to ask Sarah out and driving on the interstate. I saw a billboard, and the first letter on the billboard was the first letter of her last name, and the last two digits of the phone number were the same as her age. And right at that moment, my favorite Christian song came on the radio, and so I just knew God was telling me to ask her out. Jehovah Jireh. I think he probably intended it to be read kind of like that. God is good all the time, okay? So then he puts in parenthesis, or girls, maybe a guy has used some line like that to ask you out. If so, on behalf of all guys everywhere, I apologize. (laughs) He also writes, Christians tend to gravitate toward one of two extremes regarding the Spirit. Some pursue experience in the Spirit apart from the Word. They listen for voices in their hearts or seek signs from God in the heavens. They always seem to be talking about what God said to them through a stirring in their spirit or in a strange confluence of circumstances. Others, however, seek to know and obey the word without any interaction with or real dependence on the spirit. These Christians might know who the Holy Spirit is and that he floats around in their hearts somewhere. They might even know that he produces spiritual fruit in their lives, but they relate to him in ways similar to how I relate to my pituitary gland. I know it's, the, I know it's in there somewhere and that it's necessary somehow for bodily growth in life, but I, have not, but I have not real interaction with it. I think I haven't had real interaction with it. I've never spoke to or heard from my pituitary gland. 
Its work remains invisible and undetected, even though I know it's essential. So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit? What does that mean? What's it look like? What does it feel like? What's it sound like to be led by, walk by, keep in step with the Spirit? So last week, if you were here, you may have wondered why I spent so much time on faith working through love if this is a series that's supposed to be on keeping in step with the Spirit. I don't know if anybody wondered that. But the point is, in the context of Galatians 5, that's exactly what the Spirit does in our lives. He produces and sustains and grows faith in Jesus, and that faith works itself out in love, works through love. Faith is the soil, you could say, from which the fruit of love grows. So if you're wondering where the Spirit is going to lead you, if you keep in step with Him, it's going to be down the path of love. And He will so empower you that this path of love will be a path that you want to walk, that you will walk freely. It won't be a begrudging duty but an empowered desire. It will not be a joyless obligation, but a joyful privilege. Our, oh, all right. Our, or, has this ever happened to you? Sadly, this happens to me, you know. Another, another need comes in. You've got to be kidding me. Or, you see a need that might be coming, and, oh, I hope she doesn't ask me to do anything. That will give way to, as we keep in step with the Spirit, that will give way to, Lord, help me love with your love, empowered by your Spirit. Sure. I'd be happy to. Is there anything I can do for you? So thus far we've, been, we've seen that keeping in step with the Spirit means, just as we've spent several weeks here, we're following a person, not a force. Hey, not a formula. It also means that He, the Spirit, loves to lead us to Jesus. He loves to shine the spotlight on the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, he doesn't necessarily draw attention to Himself so much as He has this beautiful, selfless, God-like character that He wants to point you to the beauty of Jesus, so that you admire Jesus. You see him with the eyes of faith and you say, yes, I want to follow him. He's my Lord and Master. He's my Savior. And you are conformed to his character from one degree of glory to the next. As we keep in step with the Spirit, it means that, we, that he loves to help us Christians know, a couple weeks ago, know that we belong to God, that we're secure. He seals us so that we know those things. He protects us. That we know we're sons and daughters, heirs of God. We, we experientially know that love. And he gives us a taste, this first fruit foretaste of the glory that is to come, that's ours. And then, like last week, he loves to beget and sustain and grow our faith so that our faith works itself out by love. Okay, so Galatians 5 is of central importance if we want to know what it means to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Um, Those are the phrases that are repeated in this passage. Look at them just really quickly. Let your eyes kind of scan through this section. 5.16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 5.18, 
If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 525, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So, big question is, what do these phrases mean? We've seen some of it already, but we need to see it more clearly. We need to apply it. We need to live it. Um, If we don't know what this looks like, we're not going to be able to live it. So what's the nature of this experience? Well, just on the front end, we need to know this, and hopefully there's no disagreement here. We're going to find this out by studying the Bible. Not only is the person and work of the Spirit, if you want to know Him, who He is, and His ways, not only are we going to find it in the Bible, revealed in the pages of sacred Scripture, but the Spirit of God Himself, as He leads us, is going to lead us into the Word to understand, believe, to live it. He's never going to lead you contrary to God's revealed, holy, inspired Word. He's never going to lead you contrary to it. So we're not after ecstatic experience, you know, being slain in the Spirit, smacked in the forehead, or, you know, walking around in some magical way where the Spirit leads us to an open parking spot in front of Target. (laughs) Um, There's way bigger things on his agenda than that. Um, But that's not to say that we're not after real experiential understanding of these realities. We sure are. This is not just a cognitive thing, not just a matter of information. So with these three phrases in such close proximity, walk by, led by, keep in step with the Spirit, the question is how does Paul unpack them so that we understand what this looks like so that we can live this way, so that we can learn what this path, his leadership on this path, this keeping in step with him looks like and how to do it. So there's an outline in your bulletin and actually the back of that insert sheet, if if yours is like mine, The back is a carryover, so there's only three points this morning. Um, And this is a summary of how Paul unpacks what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. First, it looks like freely serving others, others through love. And then he goes on to explain a little bit more of how that happens. How do you freely serve others in love? Well, you've got to crucify the flesh and farm the Spirit's fruit. Or you could put it with these three terms, freedom, fight, fruit, okay, if you like Fs, if you like alliteration, whatever. Okay, so first point, freely serving others through love. Look at verses 13 to 15. Remember, last week, we covered mainly Galatians 5, 1 to 12, and we saw how the Christian life is intended to be a life of freedom and a life of faith working through love. So look at 5, 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So the good news for bad people is that Jesus came and lived the perfect life like that video shared, and he died not for his own sins, but as a substitute for us, for the sins of everyone who would trust in him as their Savior. And he didn't merely die to give us a second chance at being good enough. He didn't just die to get us in the door and then we have to stay on track in our own steam, by our own strength. When he died, he said it's finished and he lived and he died to fulfill the law. So we're not under the law, but we're under grace. We're not justified by works of the law. We're justified by faith in Jesus. So there's freedom in the Christian life. 
But lest that freedom be misunderstood or abused, Paul goes on to clarify what that freedom is for. Look at it in verses 13 to 15. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. He doesn't want them to be enslaved. He doesn't want us to be enslaved. God doesn't want us to be enslaved. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Wait a second. I thought we were free from the law. But then Paul's saying now that we have to fulfill the law, it seems. Through love, serve one another because... The whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, fulfill the law. Now we need to stop and examine our definitions here, our assumptions. What is your definition of freedom? You have a a working definition of freedom? This culture certainly has a working definition of freedom. And it can easily kind of influence ours. Is it independence and autonomy from all restraint or hindrance or enslavement? Is it the absence of necessity or coercion or constraint in your choices? Is it liberation from the power of another and thus the the freedom for self-determination? Is it basically just the ability to do what you want without any obstacles to your desires? No. Nobody lives that way, even if they reject the Bible's definition of freedom. It's not freedom from any constraint on your desires. You have competing desires all the time. You want to eat a lot of ice cream. You you might want to eat all the time, but you also want to be healthy and skinny. You, You want to eat out more often, but you want to be able to balance your budget. Oh, well, real freedom would be if I just had the right metabolism and enough money. (laughs) Well, guess what? Even if you did have super-duper metabolism and plenty of money, you would still have limitations and competing desires. You would want to be lazy and fit and energetic. That's why people buy those crazy things, you know, that promise six-pack abs in eight minutes a day. Easy abs. No. Are you kidding me? Like, what? Freedom is not the absence of all constraints on every desire. It's not freedom from all restraint. Freedom is to be where you belong, doing what you were made to do. And to be and do it with all your heart. In fact, the highest freedom is a whole lot like happy slavery. Think heaven, folks. Do you think you're going to really just be wrestling between a good choice and a bad choice in heaven? Or are you going to just be this happy slave of God, always doing what you want because your wants are perfectly purified and you can't do otherwise? So you've probably heard something like this before. Is a fish free outside of water? Of course not. It's made, for the, it's made for the water. That's where it belongs. So is it a slave of the water if you ask the fish? 
oh, don't you feel, you know, lie down on my couch here. Don't you feel so restricted and oppressed, dear fish? Let me free you. No, that's insane. But when it is where it belongs, the restriction of water boundness is no hindrance to its freedom. It actually enables its freedom. So, where do human beings belong? In what environment do we belong? Where are we, in what ways are we, how do we find this freedom? Being where we belong, doing what we were made to do. Well, we were made for love. Loving relationships with God and others. But we all know, as soon as you enter into a loving relationship, there's some limits on your freedom. Right? You don't just do whatever you want. You consider how what you want will affect the other. You do what is in the best interest of the other. So, big picture, Galatians 5.25, keep in step with the Spirit. What does that look like? It's freedom. But it's not freedom to do whatever you want. It's freedom to do what you are made for. In fact, it's freedom to want what you are made for. Not just do it as a begrudging obligation. Okay, but oh man, do we know what a battle this is. Well, the encouraging thing is so does Paul. He knows it's a battle. So let's read on. Point number two. Now he's going to help us with the how. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Freely serving others in love by crucifying the flesh. Point number two. So crucifying flesh would be the negative way of saying it, the put off, the old self. Walking by the Spirit is the positive way to say it, the put on the new self. Okay, so look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we got to go back to definitions again. What is this flesh thing? Is it just this stuff right here, this skin stuff? Well, your, your translation might read the sinful nature. That's pretty helpful translation. Or you could say our selfish impulses. Okay, so human beings are not merely sinners in the sense that they commit sins, though they are. Human beings on this side of the fall, by nature, are sinful. We're bent by nature. So when you become a Christian, you receive the Spirit, you actually receive a new nature. Remember Ezekiel 36, one of the new covenant promises? It's just one verse, so you can write it down and don't take the time to turn there, but Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from you and give you a soft heart. Okay, so Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify or fulfill the desires of the flesh. So walk by the Spirit is an imperative, it's a command, but Paul is only, give, he's only given us one thing to do here, not two. We might be tempted to read this as two things, like walk by the Spirit and don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, Paul does talk like that elsewhere, but right here, this is actually a promise. Do you see it? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is a sweet promise. 
If we walk by the Spirit, we won't fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. You know these desires, don't you? The desires of the flesh. You know they want to be gratified. They want to be fulfilled. And they can be so strong. And you can give in to them, and then you deal with guilt and shame and frustration. Like, this is a sweet promise if you know that battle. Whether it's lustful desires, they want to be gratified. Gluttonous desires, they want to be gratified. Prideful desires, self-pitying desires, angry desires, vengeful desires. Selfishly ambitious desires. So how do you not gratify them when they rise up? These are the the desires, they're the hunger of the flesh to feed on others for your own selfish gain. How do you put those down? How do you say no? How do you not gratify them? Well, you know what? I, I think the how is so important, and I'm so glad that Paul gives so much help for the how, but I think sometimes we make this more complicated than it is. And I think we make it more complicated, like, but, but how? How does this work? You know, like, we often do that because we want an excuse to gratify the flesh, or we do so because we want to justify why we gratified the flesh. That's why we give excuses. It's not all that complicated. It can be very difficult. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but it's not all that complicated. Very difficult, not complicated. Get the difference? This is a battle. So think about it this way. We are quite adept, I know I can be, at ignoring or killing the voice of our conscience. We are pretty good at grieving the Spirit, stiff-arming His loving conviction and warnings. Do you know how to do that? Everybody pretty good at that? Okay, thank you, Diane. Somebody's honest, at least. Um, We're pretty good at this. My hand's up because I can be pretty good at this. So we should really know how to turn the tables, friends. To do that with the flesh rather than with the spirit. If you know how to do it with the spirit, then you've got lots of practice. Just turn the tables. Are you guys tracking? Do you hear what I'm saying? So look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So what do we do with the the Spirit's conviction with our conscience? Um, We just get really busy and, no, I don't really hear that because I really want this other thing. La, 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 you know? Turn up the radio. I don't want to have to fit. Well, why don't we just do that to the flesh? You're a liar. You just wanted to, this is death. I don't, I'm not going to listen to you. I know where you're heading. I'm not going to be your lackey. And stop listening and start listening to the Spirit. Okay? Again, 
It's easy. It's not that complicated, but it's very hard because those desires are so strong. So verse 17, we've got a fight on our hands, brothers and sisters. We should expect it, not be surprised by it. If you've got a fight on your hands, it doesn't mean you're so immature. Oh, I look around and I see these people. They just seem to have it all together. It must, it must be because I'm, I'm struggling so much because I'm so immature. No, Paul's saying the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit against the flesh. They're opposed to each other. They keep you from doing the things you want to do. We shouldn't be surprised. <clears throat> we certainly shouldn't be lulled to sleep as if we live in peacetime. The desires of, you could say it's the vestiges of the old self, the old you, the in Adam, you. Those desires are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit, the new self, the new creation you, the in Christ you, those desires are against the flesh. They will never be reconciled. They are opposed to each other. They always will be. And they keep you from doing the things you want to do. So, your fleshly desires will never be fully gratified without... Isn't, this is wonderful, actually. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. And those desires of the flesh will never be fully gratified without the inhibitions of the Spirit. Oh, how gracious of God that is. And the godly desires of the Spirit will never be fully fulfilled without the protests of the flesh. Do you see how practical that is? Is that what you expect? Is that what you realize? Like, even if I am the most mature person on the planet, which none of us, who, who is that person? It's stupid. We shouldn't even be going after maturity. We're after Jesus, right? But if we were to be really mature, we're still going to have a battle. That's what we should expect. I mean, do you, do you think sometimes that truly spiritual folk are always this, you know, placid and unruffled, always wanting the right thing? No, this is real life. This is how you keep in step with the Spirit. So in this present evil age, until Jesus returns and sets everything to rights and all things are made new, we are going to have a war raging in our hearts. And it's a war for allegiance and mastery. Will we be led by the flesh or will we be led by and walk by the Spirit? So we need, it's wartime, folks, we need some Commands from our commander-in-chief. We need to hear this imperative. For the sake of true freedom, we need to hear it. That we should become who we are. Those who have new hearts indwelt by the Spirit of God to love God and love neighbor, we need to walk by the Spirit and stiff-arm the flesh. Go, I don't know, if you're like a football fan, go... Find like Franco Harris. Yeah, a little stealer. Okay, very few of you got that. Okay, some Eagles. Thank you, Greg. The best running backs, you know, stiff-arming. Just go watch a few little highlight reel for the sake of your sanctification. And that's what you need to do to the flesh. I need, other than football illustrations, I think, to hit more of you. But okay. <clears throat> now get ready when you do this. When you're going to stiff-arm the flesh, the flesh is going to protest. It's going to argue with you. In fact, you know what one of the main ploys sometimes of the flesh is? It wants to filibuster your obedience. Just talk and talk and talk and get your attention until the opportunity passes. How many times has that happened for you? 
It's just going to try to get your ear. It's going to try to work a compromise, you know, get its foot in the door. I'm telling you, it's never going to be satisfied. The flesh lies to you. It's like the little devil on your shoulder, you know, spirit, flesh. It says, oh, if you do that or if you don't do that, you're going to die. Your, your comfort's going to die. Your, your, your satisfaction's going to die. Your, your safety, your comfort is going to die. No, it's lying. The truth is, if you go that route, it will die another death. And so that's why it's pleading with you. And it's trying to say, oh, you will die because this is still who you are. No, you need to become who you are. You're a new creation. You're a new person. That's not who you are. So you stiff arm it. So you see what it's trying to get you to believe and live out. It's trying to get you to believe that this is who you are, fleshly, old person, not the new person that Jesus has made you by his spirit. Look at verse 19. Here's what characterized the old you. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because if that's what rules you, if that's what your life is characterized by, you must not be a new person. You must not be a new creation. But the temptation to do some of those things doesn't mean you're not a new creation because <laughs> those desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are still going to be present and at war in a genuine Christian. So what should we do with the flesh? Look down at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So listen to me. I, this is so practical. I, don't try to simply rein in or control or manage or reason with or moderate the flesh. I think that's what we do practically oftentimes. We even just try to do it in our, like, oh, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do it. Like, we don't ask for help from the Spirit. You're trying to kill the flesh with your own little, like, cardboard sword. Stop it. Stop it, Chris, you know? No, you need, you need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that you can actually do some damage. So don't try to negotiate with the flesh or convince the flesh. You're just going to argue ad infinitum, okay? Don't bargain with the flesh. The flesh is not reasonable. It is insatiable. It doesn't work to try to pacify it. We need to crucify it. Okay, so Christians don't raise the white flag to the flesh. They crucify the flesh. They wage war against it. And we can only do that by the Spirit, by faith in Jesus. I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. What's the I there? 
I, the old me, no longer lives. But the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Flip over to Romans 8.13. There's a lot of parallels in Romans 6 through 8 with Galatians 5. But I want you to just see one verse because Paul says so clearly how to do this. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Just like that list of works of the flesh. Those, um, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we do that by the sword of the Spirit. We do that by believing the superior promises, the grace of the gospel. So just a couple of examples here, okay, to make sure this is clear and practical. Do you know, and this happened this past week, ironically, as I'm working on preparing stuff on the fruit of the Spirit, do you know when I oftentimes allow the flesh to rule, and as a result, it kind of is obvious when this is happening because I end up getting biting in my speech, bite and devour, okay? Or I can sometimes hide it, but it's thinly veiled probably. Well, sometimes it's when my plate is full, and then I have to end up cleaning up someone else's mess. So that happened earlier this week, actually two different ways on the same day, and I was convicted, and I was having to write a devotional for Wednesday morning on the fruit of the Spirit, and it happened on Tuesday. So I'm just thinking, oh, way to go, Chris. You know, you're pathetic. You can't even, you know, listen to your own preaching. But Wednesday morning, the Lord met me in a really meaningful way and gave me the grace that I needed. So it's probably different for you, but maybe it's a child, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a ministry partner, you know, you're doing so much, you're doing so much, and now you've got to clean up somebody else's mess. And in my flesh, because I'm feeling empty, overloaded, whatever, I'm going to be biting. And what I thought about by God's grace and His Spirit Wednesday morning was, okay, what about the gospel here? The Spirit's going to lead us to Jesus. If there's anybody in the universe that has a right to get upset with all the messes he has to clean up that aren't his, it's God. I am so glad that God doesn't treat me the way I was treating my kids or somebody else the day before on Tuesday this week. So the Lord Jesus, he... <laughs> He had no, there was no, he was under no obligation to do this, but he willingly became a slave. He took on flesh and became a slave, even to the point of death, death on a cross, to clean up my mess. And you know what? If you, by faith, grasp that grace, by the power of the Spirit, he loved me, the mess maker, and he gave himself for me, the mess maker, all of a sudden, 
all of a sudden, what was like a dutiful thing that I had to do Wednesday morning, and I, you know, I'm going to be up late another night, you know, all of a sudden, this was a privilege, and I was excited about the opportunity that was in front of me. I wanted to love the people that I had the opportunity to speak to. So that's how quickly the Spirit can change our stupid fleshly hearts and help us by the Spirit, by faith in the gospel, that faith can work through love. And we're free. I was a slave Tuesday night. Wednesday morning I was free. Or how about when you're tempted to feed or fantasize about unmet desires? What's the flesh going to do there? It's going to be insatiable. It's going to give you all kinds of good reasons and, and just feed the flames of your self-pity or whatever. You just need to stiff arm that and say, oh no, with the sword of the Spirit, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never, ever hunger. Whoever believes in me will never, ever thirst. Spirit of God, please make those promises real and true in me so that I stiff arm the flesh, walk away from it, and keep in step with you so that I can love God and love my neighbors today. So we don't just manage the flesh. We crucify it. And we don't just crucify the flesh, but we walk by, we are led by the Spirit. So if you're stiff-arming the flesh, then you're listening to, you're welcoming, you're yielding to the Spirit. Just like you used to stiff-arm the Spirit and listen to and welcome and yield to the temptation. So we do that for the sake of love so that we can freely serve others through love so that you can live the new life that you were meant to live, like fish in the water, okay? So without the Spirit, this path of love would be a burden. In fact, without the Spirit, the path of loving our neighbor as ourselves is impossible, but not with the Spirit, not if you're a new creation. If by the Spirit you're crucified with Christ, you, lo- you no longer live that old self, but the life you live in the body, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. That faith works through love. By the Spirit, the sweet fruit of love is born in our lives. So remember, big picture, Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. What does that look like? Freely serving one another in love. How? By crucifying the flesh, walking by the Spirit. How? By farming the Spirit the Spirit's fruit. Look at verses 22 and 23. But the fruit, not works, but the fruit of the Spirit is, it all hangs together, the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or humility, and self-control. Against such things, Paul knows he's got a bunch of things in the list, but he's saying is, not are, because it all hangs together. The fruit of the Spirit is this list. Against such things, there is no law. So note that Paul said first, the works of the flesh in verse 19, and here he says the fruit of the Spirit. Did you notice that? So the point is that these virtues are not what we do if we follow the Spirit, but what the Spirit produces in us. These are not natural virtues. 
These are, like, there are some natural copies, you could say, or counterfeits. This is supernatural fruit here, folks. This is, so we were singing that song, 10,000 Reasons, and it always makes me think of this family um, back in Illinois. They have a little son, Chase, who has had cancer from early on, and this is his favorite song, and he sings it all the time. So how, how do you have 10,000 reasons when your child has been in and out of the cancer ward gazillion times in his few years on planet Earth? How do you have 10,000 reasons to bless God's name? Well, you only are going to have those if you have supernatural power to do this. So this is love when it's hard, not when it's easy. You know, everybody can love those who love them in return. doesn't take any grace for that. That happens all over the place. We like the people that we like, and we like the people that like us. This is love when it's hard. This is supernaturally born fruit. Joy when there's suffering and sorrow. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. It wasn't, you know, this rose-colored glasses thing. He's in prison when he's writing that. And he says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So this is joy when there's suffering and sorrow. It's not just joy in, in happy circumstances. It's joy regardless of our circumstances. Peace that passes understanding. I mean, we could go down through the list. This is supernatural fruit. Also, just note that this fruit, fruit is, this can be encouraging. It's, it's spiritually organic. It takes a little while to grow fruit. It's a process. It's not something that happens like this. So, we walk by the Spirit, and this fruit is born throughout our lives. There are seasons when we're more fruitful than others, but even in the wintertime, things are happening that are important for real growth and fruit. So we live by the Spirit. These virtues are produced. We don't go buying up fruit to tack on the tree of our life and look impressive. So the works of the flesh are selfish, but the fruit of the Spirit, look at it, it's love, joy, peace. Do you see how these are internal, but they're all interpersonal? They all end up breaking out in the way that we relate to other people. It's not this private experience with God. And No, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that's all interpersonal. Okay, so a spirit-filled, spirit-led life doesn't lead you away from people to live like a spiritual recluse. It leads you into life of love. So let me just finish with a couple of quotes, and then we're going to um, close by singing a song that we've sung a few times because it's a wonderful prayer summary of some of the burdens of this series. Um, we'll close with that song in just a minute. But we started with the idea of freedom, freely loving how do, we, how do we love like this? And I want to read an extended quote by C.S. Lewis and then part of a song or a poem that became a song by John Newton, Love Constrained to Obedience, and then we'll, we'll pray and be done, okay? So Lewis is, is thinking of the fact that unless we are gripped with the power of the Spirit, the joyful impulses of the gospel grace from the inside, we're always going to be thinking in terms of doing external duties as pressures from outside rather than desires from inside. That pressure from outside, that's called morality. 
So listen to what he writes in two different places. First, a perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He'd always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love of God and of other people, like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. (laughs) Think about it. Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course it is idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs, our own loves, tastes, habits, etc. can do the journey on, our, on their own. Now let's just say, well, the Spirit enables us to walk by the Spirit. So He is our empowerment in this regard, but at least the goal is clear. The freedom of love empowered by the Spirit so that we can walk this road. And then, this other quote. There are three kinds of people in the world. The first class is those who simply live for their own sake and pleasure, regarding man and nature as so much raw material to be cut up into whatever shape may serve them. In the second class are those who acknowledge some other claim upon them, the will of God, the categorical imperative, the good of society, and they honestly try to pursue their interests no farther than this claim will allow. They try to surrender to the higher claim as much as it demands, like men paying a tax like men paying a tax, but hope, like other taxpayers, that what is left over will be enough for them to live on. Their life is divided like a soldier's or a schoolboy's life into time on duty and off duty, in school, out of school. But the third class is those who can say, like St. Paul, that for them to live is Christ. These people have got rid of the tiresome business of adjusting the rival claims of self, the flesh, and God by the simple expedient of rejecting the claims of self altogether. The old egoistic will has been turned around, reconditioned, and made into a new thing. The will of Christ no longer limits theirs. It is theirs. All their time in belonging to Him belongs also to them for they are his. And because there are three classes and any merely twofold division of the world into good and bad is disastrous. It overlooks the fact that members of the second class are always and necessarily unhappy. The tax which moral conscience levies on our desires does not in fact leave us enough to live on. As long as we are in this class, we must either feel guilt because we have not paid the tax or a cramping lack of resources because we have. The Christian doctrine that there is no salvation by works done to the moral law is a fact of daily experience. Back or on we must go. There is no going on simply by our own efforts. If the new self, the new will, does not come at his own good pleasure by the Spirit to be born in us, We cannot produce him synthetically. The price of Christ is something in a way much easier than moral effort. It is to want him. It is true that the wanting itself would be beyond our power, but for one fact, the world is so built that to help us desert our own satisfactions, they desert us. War and trouble and finally old age take from us one by one all those things that the natural self hoped for at its setting out. Begging is our only wisdom. And want in the end makes it easy for us, easier for us to be beggars. Even on those terms, the mercy will receive us. So I hope you tracked with that. If not, I can post it on the blog, okay? But I think it's really 
sobering and humbling. It can be convicting. But listen, the Spirit of God can do that miracle work in us to set us free where we want to love so that we can really live in the place we belong, empowered to do so on the path of love by the Spirit. So this John Newton quote, and then we're done. The poem is called Love Constrained to Obedience. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. That's freedom, and that comes by the Spirit. Let's walk in it. Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would help us to happily, gladly be crucified with Christ so that the old self no longer lives or rules. But the life that we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us so that we, because you first loved us, so that we can love others. Please do it, Father, for the sake of your great name and in Jesus' name, amen.